1: Hello everybody and welcome to my Food and Psych podcast where I, Kimberly Wilson, Chartered Psychologist and Eater, bring you research and stories about food and its role in our lives. In this episode, I go back to visit Cheryl Hill and Ellen Carr, the directors behind the Cheryl Talks Obesity Theatre production, which is looking at the complexities of living with obesity. In this conversation, we talk about some of the feedback the team have had from their research and the focus groups and what they've learned about how we respond to larger bodies. It's a really interesting conversation and I hope you enjoy it. Okay, ladies, welcome to the Freedom Site podcast. Thank Hello. you very much for, well, not for being here, for inviting me to be here. <laughs> <laughs> you are both involved in quite an interesting project and I thought it might be quite interesting for us to hear more about it. So if you would like to
2: introduce yourselves
1: and the project, that would be great.
2: Yeah, of course. Cool. So my name is Cheryl Hill. Um, I'm a theatre director and with my co-director, Ellen Carr. Hi, Ellen. Hi. <laughs> um, we're working on a project called Cheryl Talks Obesity, which is about exploring the complexities and real life experience of obesity in the United Kingdom. And why? Why have you
1: decided to launch upon this project? And, and why have you found it interesting enough to get on board, Ellen?
3: Yeah, so the the why doing the project is probably down to Cheryl and Cheryl's own story. So
2: Cheryl, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm I'm obese, so uh, that's why Cheryl talks obesity. Um, I've struggled with my weight my whole life. Um, and that's from the point of view of you know with food struggling with things like emotional eating secret eating binge eating essentially a bit more of a complex relationship between food and my mind than just then what is often I guess the more dominant narrative around the conversation of you know fatness is just lazy and greediness and it was something that because of my personal experience I was really interested in exploring and so I approached Ellen about doing so with me so Cheryl approached me about the project, and I'm
3: interested in authenticity and stories that we don't talk about, maybe that much, um, things that aren't represented so much on the, on stage or in any medium. So that's what originally drew me it was the the authenticity and um, and how Cheryl wanted to make it a project that was you know about her authentic story and experience. So that's what originally got me on board and. You know, I was, I was aware that there are issues around obesity and that it's often reported as an epidemic, a rising problem. and, and you know, more on
2: obesity. Yeah,
3: and I, I know that obviously there's some issue there. I, I knew that before. And then now that I've spent time researching for the project, I, I realise how important it is.
1: Why? What do you
3: mean be, Because it's so much more than, you know, like Cheryl said eat less and move more and and fat people are lazy and greedy and it's so connected to so many wider issues that we have in our society about the way that we live the values that we hold how we're taught to think about things and do things the structures we live in yeah the structures we live in the the disconnect between our mind and our bodies you know the way that our society is largely set up for capitalist gain I don't want to make this super political
2: but it it becomes that um, yeah, like the question kind of raised, like how, for example, does a dieting industry survive if suddenly it manages to get everybody to the point where they no longer need a diet industry? These have been the, the, the diet- sort of interesting questions yeah. that have come up. The diet industry is predicated on, on failure.
3: <laughs> yeah, and I've, I've never researched something so much and um, come out being more confused about what the issue is. Yeah. And that's been very interesting because there's so much contradictory information that it's no wonder that people are confused and don't know what to do Mm. um
1: because there is an illusion of simplicity about Mm. about bodies isn't there i think there's this this idea that it's just it's just about as you say the eat less move Mm. more Mm. but i everyone Mm. goes home happy Um, and of course if that were that simple then everybody would have a (laughs) six-pack yeah (laughs) yeah and it's really interesting that we By virtue of everyone not having a six-pack, we know it's not that simple because we live in a society where a particular aesthetic is lauded and is praised and you would assume then that if it were that simple, everybody would be aiming for that. Um, And if it were that simple, everyone would have achieved that. And yet that's not the case. So instead of saying, well, maybe our assumptions about that process are incorrect, I think what ends up happening is that people just say, or maybe you're just not doing it. Yeah,
3: yeah, and, and science as well is guilty of challenging of not challenging their assumptions. And the medical profession and yeah, it's hard with the medical profession is mm-hmm. so stretched as it is, like maybe they haven't got the capacity to do
2: what they might want to do. But you know I think it's also because the answers aren't there scientifically, mm-hmm. like people are still kind of working mm. on it. Um and I guess with the human body as well, there probably is so much to learn. But certainly the issue of conflicting information you know even just down to what constitutes a healthy diet or doesn't you you get really contradictory information like fat is good for you fat is bad for you carbs are bad carbs are good um it's it's for someone who is trying to to change how they eat to know where to go with that is quite tricky when All these seemingly expert sources are telling you completely Mm. different things. And I also think as well within the society that we're, you know, we're living in social media, especially, there's just such a proliferation of people telling you, you know, what is healthy, what isn't do this diet, do that diet with so I have a YouTube channel with this show. And one of the things that I'm always very aware of is the irony of me sort of doing this via social media. Um, although I, I guess I take more of a stance of, you know, I'm trying to understand it and to kind of break, you know, wade through all this stuff and see how it fits with my life. But which sources do you do you believe in? Like, how do we know to cross-check it? And, mm. yeah, it's
1: difficult. Cool. Which is an interesting point, isn't it? Because you say, which so- sources should we trust? Yeah. And actually one of the sources which gets dismissed automatically is one's own body. Yes. <laughs> that, yeah. There's yeah. no sense in which... Actually, one of the first ports of call should be how you're feeling, mm. what your appetite is saying, how this food affects you, how this exercise or this movement affects you. Mm. And that automatically, well, I, I think there's a process, but you know, once we get to a particular age or a particular stage... Automatically, the answers are outside, mm-hmm. and there's a okay. I need to find this online guru, or I need to mm-hmm. find this particular paper, yeah. or I need to just overlay this diet plan onto me, yeah. and things will be okay. And this actually what gets missed is a the individual experience, the individual mm-hmm. relationship with food, or with oneself, with exercise, with whatever, but also. The individual differences. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there was a really interesting paper that came out recently, which was looking at um, individual differences in insulin response to fat. So, there's a general idea that fat doesn't spike insulin, and therefore, this is part of the kind of low carb, high fat, paleo type diets. Yeah. This is this is why they work, but actually, there can be enormous individual differences in how people respond. Mm. You know, in terms of insulin production to to dietary fats and so actually it, it becomes even more complex mm-hmm. um, when we start actually taking individual differences into it
2: as well. Yeah. Two things that kind of sprung to mind and um, as you've said that so first of all um, what we were saying about we don't trust our bodies so my so this is my experience of obesity not everybody has had the same negative experience I've, i've had but i've always been in battle with my body so of course my body is like the last thing that i trust because of that but similarly as well kind of this idea of the individual changing the complete flip side of this as well is our environment is not changing for the better so in the sense of the environment that we're kind of living in is gearing people up to not make perhaps the best choices. You can kind of walk down streets and you see kind of takeaways everywhere and food promotion tends to be a lot of the time on, say, the things that... It's not, say, the celery, for example. You know, it might
1: be... buy one, get one free. Yeah, it might be like
2: the biscuits. (laughs) Um, You know, I think that is such a big issue as well. It's not only just the individual, but also how that individual deals with the world in which we're living
3: yeah and I think it comes down to speed Um, in terms of we live very quickly that's how our lives are set up now and that's how we're told to be mm. and of the way achievement achieve more earn more money go for this thing keep moving 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 forward and I think that's like a couple of things it means that we're working a lot more and we're always on the go like I think most of us will probably eat at least one meal a week on the go Mm -hmm. and people are probably more inclined to grab a ready meal from the shops or a pizza because it's quick and easy like I know when I'm busy the first thing that goes out the window is my meal planning and my Mm -hmm. weekly shop Mm -hmm. and then also I think we are sort of conditioned to want a magic pill response that is something that can fix something like that yeah, from the outside not, not from the inside mm-hmm. and I think that's probably because doing work on ourselves on the inside takes a long time and people don't feel like they have the time for that um
2: and it's not prioritized in our society there's an interesting contradiction as well and actually with my own personal experience the more i go through this process i'm noticing so many hypocrisies with my own behavior but the idea of us always being on the go and we're being geared up to live these really fast lives there's also a massive element that so much of our lives are becoming sedentary yeah you know technology the dominance of that like Gone gone are the days where, say, the majority of people were out labouring in the fields. Mm. It's a lot of people now sitting at computers. Mm. And I, you know, we've been doing our research and development process for three weeks now. And the first two of those, you know, I spent most of it sitting down researching Mm. on my computer. Mm. So there's a real issue there as well. And with technology and the way society is continuing to advance, what is the future? And how will that either positively or negatively impact our health
3: yeah and one of the interesting things that's come out for us from our research just sort of on the strand of technology and how we're living more of our lives online is the idea of community Um, and it was something that our designer brought up a while ago in a production meeting and she mentioned it and I kind of thought "Mm, yeah I'm you know I'm interested in community in general but I sort of like oh I don't know how it fits into this project and then the more I read about it and the more research that I did and the more we talked to people in our focus groups that we ran um the more it just was coming out people were saying there's no community there there's no one to go to there's yeah. you're not eating your food with people you're not you haven't got people to go and exercise with you there's, they're just saying you need people who are there who can support you you need there's that love from that community group you need that connection mm-hmm. um and that was one of the things they felt was missing and that's really interesting i think considering
2: we are spending more of our lives online isolated yeah yeah that came from so that was that reference the designer had came from one of my videos in which I talked about kind of my personal experience doing this process and community because I'm going through the process of training for a marathon cycling from Land's End to John O'Groats and then doing the three peaks over the next 18 months and My weight for many, many years was something that I never wanted to engage people about. It was a real source of shame and guilt, something that, you know, to talk about it would be horrifically exposing. And just, you know, it still is quite an exposing thing to talk about. But I don't I don't wince in fear at the thought of doing so anymore. But as soon as I started talking about this project, so many people were getting in touch, you know, saying, well, first of all, saying quite openly about their own kind of relationships with food and weight and their own as they put it struggles and um, inviting me to things like their favorite exercise class mm. or, or saying you know if, if I wanted a running partner just to give them a text message going to park run uh, when I did my 5k and just you know the moments when you get the runners who will make the effort to give you a go on you're doing really well keep going the runners nod yeah exactly <laughs> um, um that is something and also as well, like finding the exercise that you would that you enjoy, you're not just doing it because you think you have to. And then the community that comes from that. So there's a two
1: points come to mind when you talk about community and, and the first one is um actually how important it is just for well being. So mm. all of those um, there's a guy called Dan Buettner follows the, the Blue Zones and it's the seven, I think now nearly six areas of the world where there's the highest rate of people who live to the age of 100. Yeah. And uh, there are lots of kind of commonalities and you know those are about mm. kind of spending lots of spending a lot of the time doing incidental exercise, just moving around. Eating a, a low processed diet, lots of fiber. Um, but one of the the core themes is is about community. That all mm-hmm. of them have these close knit communities where people are either living very close to one another, or one of the areas is, is uh, one of the groups is the Seventh Day Adventists, and you know it's a religious group. Mm-hmm. They, they meet for religious service, and 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 so community has an enormous enormously positive effect on well being and longevity. Yeah, you know, to the point of it makes you live longer. Mm-hmm. The other thing is um about some of the you know the, the mediterranean diet is being posited mm. as you know the diet for longevity mm-hmm. for good health for yeah. keeping your heart healthy for keeping your brain healthy and strong and one of the things that happens with that is that it gets decontextualized mm. and, and people say, well, look at the foods yes. that they're eating. But one of the things about, and you know, I have Mediterranean family. Yeah. Um, one of the things about the Mediterranean diet is the Mediterranean way of eating, which is together. Yeah. yeah. you come together and you sit around the table and they might be, they might be long, <laughs> yeah. multi-course meals, but they are done together and they're done slowly. And you're having a yeah. conversation. Yeah, you're really aware your really well you're
2: eating. Yeah. I'd imagine.
1: But it, it's it's a community experience, yeah. And and I think we need to not decontextualize eating yeah. from yeah. relationships as well. Yeah. And
3: yeah. you mentioned they eat slowly, and I was just thinking, in terms of Mediterranean lifestyle, it tends to be much slower. There's a siesta in the <laughs> afternoon. If mm. I was in an office job, I was like, I'm just going to go have a nap, guys, for like an hour, two hours, like, I'd be
2: fired, you know. <laughs> so. <laughs> and and like, often, kind of in that. I mean, so kind of branching off from kind of office work in like a similar vein to kind of like shift work, often your times for eating are really out of sync with your natural yeah. body's rhythm. And so I think you're right, it can't be decontextualized.
3: And I think that's what we try to do as well. Again, maybe with the wanting a quick solution, change our diet, everything will be fixed. Mm. And that's obviously mm. why diets don't work because it goes deeper and it's about
2: changing lifestyle. So yeah it's quite scary how often actually the statistic that isn't often spoken about is the amount of people who've lost weight and then put it back on yeah
1: hmm. but if you if you manage to lose weight and keep it off i think it is for two to three years you are a part a of the
2: tiny minority 3%, yeah it's a tiny t- 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 oh, t- tiny it's very three, small
0: yeah,
1: yeah.
2: but you never really hear that narrative do you no and Obviously,
1: the number of people who after those miraculous transformations end up a year later back at their original weights or mm. higher, they yeah. you never hear from them again. It's why they never do the follow-up on the biggest loser. Mm. Um there was an article about that a couple of mm. years ago. And it and and some of the former contestants said it's because we're all fat again.
3: Yeah, and yeah. And that's not the narrative that people want to hear. It's not what we want to and hear. that's not gonna sell the the, the diet, I don't know, schemes mm. or
1: mentality similarly you know,
2: as well, like yeah. I'm aware of many cases where people who have lost substantial amounts of weight they're then left in a situation where actually like, you know, there's a lot of excess skin because they've obviously reduced by such a, you know, a, a big size. Um, and the, kind of the care there isn't really there. Instances of people might be thinner, but they don't feel happy in their bodies,
0: mm.
2: which I think is quite awful because it's like, okay, society is happy to accept you now because with your clothes on, you look skinny, but yeah. actually yeah. that person's still perhaps quite deeply unhappy. Mm.
0: Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care.
1: Sorry. No, I was just gonna. I was wondering what was coming out of the research or, or yeah. your development process in terms of
3: these ideas. I was just gonna say something about that actually, so that's good. <laughs> <laughs> so we've done exercises in the rehearsal room where we've kind of gone through um, the stereotypes you associate with fat people. Mm-hmm. You know, not censoring ourselves. So all the, the negative stereotypes yeah. people might say: greedy, lazy, um, unattractive. Unattractive, un- unhappy, unattractive, and unhappy or the jolly person but maybe the idea that they're doing that to hide something and all of these sorts of things and then also
2: and also you, culturally as well some kind of differences
3: yeah definitely um, and then also what people associate with thin people and yes and I am when I'm listing these things talking about a caucasian western experience and mm. because um, we have found that there are quite big cultural differences obviously um and that people will associate with thin people that they're confident and happy and powerful and successful. Mm. And it's like somebody in our focus group said, um, she, she's an actress, and she said, well, as soon as I put the weight on, I didn't get cast as like the lawyer anymore because you can't have a fat lawyer because lawyers are in control and of their person, lives yeah, and a fat person control. isn't in control of their lives. Mm. So all of those sort of associations are interesting as well. And even in terms of a person who is overweight, who might think, well, when I get thin, That will solve all my problems. Yeah. Like, what is that narrative doing for the people who are trying to lose weight? It's it's sort of saying you're going to be happy when you're thin, and then when they're not, and they put the weight back on. You know, it's Mm -hmm. it's
2: not useful. We've also been looking at how you might help somebody who's never experienced like a binge, for example, to understand Mm -hmm. what that experience might be like as the person going through it. Mm -hmm. So, binging is something that I've struggled with in the past um and we've been playing around with these two characters um who you know we're still kind of finding and they may or may not be in the final show we're being we're being playful still we've got fridge and then we had habit to begin with and we had a bit of a breakthrough yesterday in rehearsal and kind of realized we think rather than habit maybe the character is craving Mm -hmm. because habits you know they can be a very good thing Mm -hmm. you know we have habits to keep us safe routine but for me um Habits always seem quite dark because it's the habit of, you know, starting something which ends up with me eating loads of food that I then feel guilty about. And that kind of darkness, as soon as we realized that, we were like, oh no, is it habit? And then it was in an exercise yesterday where we had a moment of going, it's craving, Mm. it's that thing that kind of comes out of nowhere and it's kind of latched onto your brain. Mm. But yes, certainly, you know, conveying the experience has been a really important thing because it's about, I guess, opening the door for people to understand. And one of the key things for me as someone who's not been a binge eater,
3: like, I mean, we've talked about the fact that everybody has moments of binging, like Christmas Day, the whole population is binging, Mm. you know, that sort of thing. But in terms of, you know, how Cheryl's experienced it on a regular basis, I've certainly never experienced that. And one of the moments for me in rehearsal was when we were working on the character of Fridge. Fridge. And I say this. Yeah, I asked Cheryl to um, embody what she thought Fridge would be like, and and all of this. And her Fridge was really angry, really stomping, really threatening, swearing at me. Yeah, was really horrible. And and I just went, oh my god, like my Fridge would not be like that. My Fridge would be nurturing and caring and and really nice. And that was really shocking for me. So same level. Yeah, and that was really interesting because it's kind of like. I mean, I guess it's where the creative process is so great because you might go, you know, how, how will we get people to understand? And you might say, well, Cheryl will we just describe it. And if Cheryl described it, I wouldn't feel it. But by her doing that fridge, it was just like, um, I don't
2: know, it was a visceral thing. Mm. And It wasn't me telling you, it was me showing yeah, you. Yeah,
3: and, and I could get that in my imagination and I could counter it with how my fridge would be in my imagination. And it, that was like a real simple, mm. effective way to show that.
1: Mm. But actually what you convey... Quite interestingly is i mean and obviously these aren't relationships with the fridge the appliance but this mm. is what you're talking about your relationships with food yeah um, and those aspects of yourself that crave or desire food yeah. and if you cheryl it's something something malevolent it's something that yeah. you have to guard against perhaps yeah. something that's against you that you're yeah. you're fighting and you're battling and, and it sounds a little bit fearful of. i've, I've yeah. Um whereas for you Ellen this is this is a much more benign relationship mm, this is something mm. that has something to give you something mm-hmm. from which you can develop or or, or benefit and mm. and you can have this much more con- kind of conducive yeah relationship
2: yeah them. yeah I've said in the past to Ellen like for me I say I say about it in terms of obesity, but I, maybe it's in terms of food. Like, it feels for me, when I'm trying to be healthy and to lose weight, it always feels like for a period of time, and all that time I'm kind of running away from the slip-up that's trying to get me. Mm, yeah. I've, I've always had that, and it's never changed. It's, and even now, I'm going through this whole process, waiting for the day that comes when it all falls to pieces. Mm. It's yeah. a really interesting conceptualization, isn't it? That
1: actually you have to be in a fight mm. about this. That so there yeah. there isn't a way yeah. that this can be easy. Mm. And and I don't think that's coming from you. I mean, this is what people. Uh, this is the message about weight and weight loss it's yeah. no pain, no gain. Yeah, and you the, know, the
3: amount of war metaphors when you're reading books about obesity is insane. Mm. And when you're watching
2: programs, the battle, the body is the, the, the battleground, the war on obesity, the struggle, the wrong the target. time
3: bomb, yeah,
2: <laughs> <laughs> the epidemic, yeah, the crisis.
3: And it doesn't help, it doesn't help how we view obesity. Um, and like one of the questions I even had from my research is should we even use the word obesity at all? Like I know was talked about she's comfortable calling herself obese, but just from the research I read is like how obesity is a very medicalized term and yeah. it sort of pictures the, the diseased body is uh, the fat body is diseased mm. and, and kind of like that truly doesn't help people to see overweight people as normal people mm-hmm. and that the conversation is really should be more about health. But in order to do that we need to change the way that people talk about and think about fat people and obesity. Well, and the, I, la-
2: the language is so interesting. Yes, yeah. There was a headline on some newspaper after the Westminster attacks, and it was something along the lines of don't uh, remember the victims, don't remember the, the evil fat terrorist. Mm. You would never say don't remember the evil thin terrorist. So yeah.
1: actually his, his body weight was used to de- dehumanise yeah. him. Yeah, yeah. Um,
2: and I, I guess so, yeah.
1: And I think that that's part of why fat people haven't been part of the discussion about mm-hmm. obesity, that by virtue of being fat, they are dehumanised mm-hmm. you know, they've kind of been, their points of view have been disregarded yeah. mm-hmm. we don't want to hear about it, you clearly don't know we'll yeah. make the decision for you whether that's yeah. a social commentator, or whether that's know a medical professional Mm -hmm. do you have a sense of what the the project will look
2: like it's early days isn't it I mean we've certainly got ideas a lot of ideas I think one of the challenges is less is more (laughs) like how do you make it one good idea
3: I think at the moment this is our first creative session Mm -hmm. Um, and I think one of the key things in this two-week creative process in the rehearsal room is to try and get an idea of the style of the show and this might change but at the moment it is it's coming across as quite stylized.
2: Yeah, stylized uh, quite like physically. We we've, we've always felt quite strongly it's going to be a strong element of verbatim, so real life testimony, uh, not just from myself because mm-hmm. we agree that although my story is at the starting point, obviously it's a much bigger conversation than just my experience. Yeah, yeah so, so using Cheryl's story to
3: talk about wider society, universalize it somewhat. And you, know, you mentioned about fat people being dehumanised and it, that's quite interesting. I think that we, um, we, we go towards the, the grotesque or the very big in our characterisations, at least we are at the moment, and whether mm-hmm. that will stay or not, I don't know, but I think that's an interesting commentary. If we do do that um, because of the way that people, fat people are seen as grotesque in society, mm-hmm. so we mm-hmm. do have this sort of larger-than-life element kind mm-hmm. of yeah. that would be then paired with the real
2: verbatim. Um, and that's something we're playing with, like, how that will work. There's something as well that's really important to me with this show, that the way we talk about it and the subject matter, I don't know what you think, Camille, but you might think, oh, it's probably going to be quite a depressing show, quite a hard-hitting show. But going back to the kind of the community thing, the humanity element, for me, there is something potentially quite celebratory about it, mm-hmm. you know, a celebration of actually human spirit and if we do just push away from these stereotypes or at least question them, what actually we might find and mm. by understanding somebody else's story and how that could or could not change their life.
1: I don't know if I would imagine it as being depressing. I think I imagine it as being quite difficult yeah, because I think that in inviting people to have this conversation, you're yeah. also inviting people to really get in contact with their own prejudices. Yes. Um, and, and that's going to include people who will not want to think of themselves as prejudice. Yeah. You won't want to think of themselves as having some sort of bias. But I think it's inevitable that if you grow up in a society which which prizes a particular aesthetic, whether mm-hmm. that's about a physical shape or whether that's about skin colour yeah. or whatever it might yeah. be, yeah. then it's going to be very difficult for you not to harbour some level of bias against yeah. something that veers away from that. And I think that's going to be the difficult thing. Mm-hmm. And I wonder whether if you do have any difficulty getting people to attend or people to take part in yeah. focus groups yeah. it's going to be about how much it really forces us to face things that are really quite difficult and yeah. quite unpleasant and i think one of the things that really strikes me is um is how embedded the hostility and the dehumanization is yeah. of larger bodies yeah. is and mm-hmm. um, when i put out um podcasts and um, if I can't find, if I haven't got you know, pictures of my own to use on the front page of, of the website or whatever, then I'll look for stock images. Mm-hmm. And um, I was, what did I do? I think I was doing, or I'm, I'm writing a piece about the complexities of, of obesity and some of the science and all of that sort of stuff. And I was looking on a stock image website for a photo that I could use. And it, w- I, it was really startling. I put in just search terms so fat or large and some of the images that came back was so abusive yeah Mm -hmm. you know that there would be pictures of animals there Mm -hmm. was hippos and elephants and things and and Hmm. and and this is a stock image service that felt fine to kind of label these images in the in this Mm -hmm. way and I think there's something quite profound about that and and so I was looking for you know something that wasn't (laughs) abusive or hostile or dehumanizing in that way and interestingly there are uh, groups that do offer positive images yeah. of these of yeah. people but even that goes to the other end so there are lots of pictures of um of people just eating salads which is yes. you know of yes. course these people white people do eat yeah. salads but it was almost this kind of defensive imagery mm. and, I, and I and I can understand but it's people are so frightened I think of offending yeah of of getting it wrong of seeming to portray their own biases, that it's almost impossible to actually find the words to have a normal conversation about it. Yeah,
2: I completely agree. I think as well there's an interesting thing, because what you were saying before about getting people to kind of participate in our focus groups. Well, I was was reading um, one report about kind of social attitudes towards obesity, and there seems to be like a real disconnect as well between people being able to actually identify if they are obese themselves Mm. Mm. so you might not really even be aware of it and certainly I mean I I would love to find out if there was some sort of evidence-based science behind this but you know how people often say like I know I'm old but I don't feel it Mm. well I don't feel fat you know, a lot of the, you know, there is a real difference between the Cheryl that I feel in my body, Uh, you know, the majority of the time, of course, there are moments when I feel my size, I feel chafing, or that sort of thing, things that bring me back to a more certain reality. There's a difference between the Cheryl that I see on camera in my YouTube videos. And there's a difference between Cheryl in the mirror in my bedroom. And then there's a difference between me and the Cheryl that I see in reflections in a public space. Mm.
1: Which says something really about the, the self that we are in context yeah. um and and how that affects the way that we feel about ourselves
3: yeah
1: i think that's really important
3: and that this the fact that cheryl doesn't feel fat came up yesterday in rehearsal um in an exercise we were doing and it was a hot seating exercise which where, where cheryl was in the the hot seat which basically means she gets asked questions um, by any member of the the group yeah. and has to answer them, in this case she didn't have to answer them if she didn't want to. So She she mentioned about this not feeling fat, and I asked her the question, if society didn't have the stigmatisation of uh, fat people yeah. and, and all of this, and there wasn't the perfect body image and all of that stuff, if that didn't exist, would she still be wanting to change her weight? And Cheryl, it's a difficult question, you couldn't really answer it, could you?
2: Yeah, it was a difficult yeah. question, and actually it was one of those questions that really made me open my eyes to perhaps my own prejudices. I brought it back to, so there are physical things that like, you know, yeah, chafing is uncomfortable. That's a real thing that I think of, you know, I'd I'd like to not have that. But certainly I was, I didn't have an answer. Yeah, and I still perhaps don't yeah. necessarily. There is an issue in terms of the society pressure. But I mean, I definitely am in a place certainly, although I haven't got a fully formed answer to that question, where after having spent many many years just wanting to be skinny for an aesthetic where I'm actually in a place now where actually the change I make is about becoming stronger and fitter and I guess it goes
3: back to what Kimberly said about listening to our bodies and trusting our bodies because I think it's the same for people who maybe watch what they eat because they want to stay slim if all of the societal pressure was removed or well maybe they'd listen to what they wanted to eat and eat that and not not judge it and and Cheryl would listen to the chafing of the thighs and go actually I prefer my thighs to be a bit smaller because this hurts rather than yeah wanting to be
2: a certain size or whatever. I find myself more driven by I guess the medical talk which mm. yeah i can't move away from it at the back of my mind i do wonder if my size could eventually cause diabetes that sort of thing that's what drives me more but i'm always bringing myself back going is the science right and because mm. we automatic and this is where we've we, you know we had our eyes open because of the cultural differences we are very mm-hmm. much programmed to believe that obesity is a bad thing i'm not an expert so i can't say yes or no it absolutely is there's the obesity paradox we mm-hmm. discovered mm-hmm. where obesity actually has been indicated to give you a longer life expectancy than some yeah. people so yeah, yeah i'm oh, no. i'm just quite confused kimberly yeah, <laughs> yeah a lot
3: it. that's the thing yeah that's what happens to me i did my research and i was like i don't understand this is that like, you understand it even less than when i started
1: but but maybe that's the point isn't it That that maybe this isn't maybe your project or anything that comes out of it any conversation that, that does arise from it isn't about coming to a definitive yeah. answer yeah about it's, the obesity well, problem exactly, exactly. but it's, it's about really understanding that there are a lot more questions that we need to yes. ask about yes.
2: it yes completely yeah.
1: and that there are nuances for each and every person yeah. and yeah. that there is science that still is waiting to be discovered mm. and that there are you know all of these other levels that we haven't even accounted for mm. in this very kind of shallow level conversation about mm. what it means to be overweight and and why people are overweight I think it's it's quite an exciting project and I'm, I'm really pleased Thanks. that the two of you and, and the rest of your team are kind of engaged with it and I, I don't think it's going to be easy and I think mm. perhaps The fact that something like this hasn't been done before is is evidence that it's not easy (laughs) that people either haven't been able to overcome something in themselves to be able to ask the question Mm, or people have been too frightened about taking it out into the world or whatever response Mm. might come back but I think whatever comes from it will be quite profound and and very important so I want to thank you ladies for the the work that you're doing um how can people find you? How can they engage with you? Is there anything you need from
2: the public at this stage? Oh. Well, we're doing a lot of stuff via social media. So okay. I've got a YouTube channel which is documenting the journey of creating this show and then the journey of me training for the challenges that I'm doing. So that's under Cheryl Talks Obesity. And there's a hashtag on Twitter and a Facebook yeah. group with the same. Um Okay, I'll link
1: all of those yeah. in Great. the show notes, show notes so people can is find there, you. Is there
2: anything we need? Well, when the city production is on, come and see, come it. And see it. Engage yeah. in the conversation, absolutely. And with that conversation, I think, you know, the, the main thing that drives us is about making it kinder so that people can talk about it because I think there's yeah. a lot of fear around talking about mm-hmm. this subject. Mm-hmm. People are scared of being offended or being offensive. Mm-hmm. And rather than being able to kind of move forward, there's all these extremes which are kind of stuck. And I've always been more interested in the middle ground of yeah. this conversation.
3: And I guess something else on a practical level, if people listening um, are, are overweight themselves or have been in the past and are interested in talking to us and sharing their, their story in a sort of focus group session or a, an interview, they could sort of get in touch via, yeah, Twitter. by Twitter Twitter something like that. yeah. Sure. Well, I'll put that out and hopefully you'll get
1: some responses from that. So, thank you once again, ladies. Best of luck with the project and the production. I will be there front row <laughs> when you're ready to go. Yes. VIP. <laughs> and I wish you
3: the very, very best of it. Thank, you, thank you, Kimberly. Thank you.
1: Many thanks again to Ellen and Cheryl. You can catch up with them at the Cheryl Talks Obesity YouTube channel, the Facebook page, and the Twitter hashtag. All of those links are in the show notes so you can check them all out for yourself. That just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening and until next time, I wish you the very best of health.